0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to International Buzz Podcast, brought to you by WordBee. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I will be your host for this edition of the International Buzz Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Max Troyer from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. Hey, Max, how are you today? Hi, Mark. I'm doing very well. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. You're welcome. Hey, um, so you're based down in Monterey, right? Exactly. Yes. That is one of my favorite places on the whole planet. Uh, It must be amazing. Are you originally from there or are you a transplant?
1: No, I'm a transplant. I'm from Indiana. Originally, I came out to Monterey to attend the what was known as the Monterey Institute of International Studies at the time. I have a degree in French translation and met someone, decided to stay in town and and the rest is history. But yeah, Monterey is, is fantastic. We're the language capital of the world. I think that's probably trademarked, <laughs> and it is a great place to to live and and also a great place to visit. well,
0: i I want to come back to that because I think that's one of the allure of of uh, probably some of the students that you attract is the fact that you're in this just amazingly natural, beautiful setting. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. well, I
1: think my background. It's interesting in the sense that it kind of corresponds to the profile of the student we're looking for in the translation and localization management program at the Institute. So I studied French all throughout high school and majored in French and computer science in undergrad, but at no point did any of my career advisors say, hey, Max, you have language, you have technology, there's this field out there called localization, you should go into it. So when I graduated from undergrad, I went right into the uh, software industry. I was a consultant uh, at Arthur Anderson in a a software group uh, doing custom software development, nothing to do with language. But then Enron happened and I had to come up with a plan. I met an interpreter who thought I had pretty good French. And so he recommended I attend the, the Monterey Institute. And so that's how I came out here. And it was at the time when the school itself was thinking, you know, we've got all these translation graduates who are being asked to manage translation projects wouldn't it be cool if we could kind of harness that and give them some training while they're at the institute so they don't go out and have to kind of reinvent the wheel when they're being asked to manage projects And, and that's what happened to me i graduated with a degree in french translation and became a translation project manager at an agency right here in Monterey. And this was before the translation and localization management program existed. So I think the my arc of getting into the industry kind of corresponds to the, the bringing the translation and localization
0: management program online. I, I've heard that similar story um, repeated many, many times in the industry. It's funny because I think this is one of the few industries where most people uh, translators aside, I would say most people in the industry didn't set out and intend to enter the, the industry. And then even with some translators it, it, it's something that you know they evolved into. Um, you do have some some people obviously that they had their heart set on becoming a professional translator. but a lot of if you look at sure. your pro- project managers, your operation managers, your biz dev people, if, if most of them right out of university didn't even know that there was a quote unquote translation or localization industry and I think it's a testament to the development of the industry that, uh, you know, we now have professional education opportunities specifically for this industry. So that's that's a good sign. Tell us about the evolution of educational opportunities, specifically, I guess, with Middlebury Institute. How did that come about? When did somebody say, sure. you know, I mean, you kind of alluded a little bit to that, but when did the light bulb came on, come on and people said, you know what, this is a program that needs to be presented and, and we're going to do it? Well, I think for probably for 20 years now, the Institute has been offering computer-assisted
1: translation courses and even maybe some rudimentary software localization courses to translation students. So I think it was then the fact that we had an MBA program to look at the business side and some, some students who were crossing over between translation and MBA. And this is where they really started exploring the space. Hey, we can actually create a degree out of this and people can come to the Institute to study translation localization project management. So when kind of what I'm thinking about, if I created a translation and localization project or program from scratch, I would start with computer assisted translation, add in that project management, and then add the other courses that we have to
0: kind of round out a, a project manager. Interesting. And I want to get into the program itself. Um, but before that, tell us a little bit about Middlebury Institute. Um, what's the history? Sure. Well,
1: the original name, oh, gosh, what was it, the Monterey Institute of Foreign Studies, 40 or 50 years ago, was created as kind of, I think, as a way to train diplomats who were going to work for the State Department and for the government. Was I, it related with the DLI, the Defense Language Institute? That's uh, No, okay. the DLI is a, a kind of a parallel, separate entity. There's definitely some synergy between the DLI and the Institute. And some people who have gone back and forth working for them because we both have you know similar interests. when it comes to language, is, is DLI
0: um, still located in Monterey?
1: It is, well, yeah, up at the up at the Presidio, I mean, yeah. And we have a number of our graduates go work there and train military personnel who will be handling language for the government. That's,
0: it must be an amazing place because I mean, the, the Monterey is not that big population-wise, right? And you've got a big concentration of language programs there, both for the military. And then in the past, you had this program for diplomats. And then now you've got Middlebury. I mean, so I mean, is it like every person that you bump into speaks a couple different languages or how is that? I don't have data on the number of people who speak a second
1: language, but it does seem like Monterey does have a lot of people who are interested in language. And we're starting to get the attention of agencies who are starting to set up shop here in Monterey to be close to all the international people who are here in Monterey. Yeah, and it's only 30,000 people. So it is a small town, but uh, definitely a high percentage of of people from other countries and people who speak a second language. That is super cool.
0: Okay, so back to um, you, you were explaining about the evolution of Middlebury.
1: Yeah. So then eventually someone said, hey, we should offer translation and interpretation, kind of an offset of the, the things that diplomats need. So our, our translation and interpretation program, which is very famous around the world, has been in existence for, for many years, 30, 40 years. And so translation localization management grew out of the TNI space that we were doing about 10 years ago. We had our first TLM graduates I think in 2006 so we're actually just over 10 years old now as far as a program goes
0: and yeah so that's where TLM came from basically. Okay and then how big is the student body at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey?
1: So overall in all of our programs we have two primary schools the Translation Interpretation and Localization and Language Studies that's called a G style. We also have GSIPM International Program Management that's all the business environment policy side non-proliferation that's in the news a lot. And so between these two schools, we have about 700 students total. And then when you get into the translation and localization management program, which is now actually the biggest program on campus, our program for many years had maybe 10, 15, 20 graduates each year. In the last few years, we've seen great strides in recruiting for our program people who choose to go into the localization industry. And for the last couple years, we've had graduating classes of about 30. Um, Our incoming class, though, for this fall, last fall, was 60 students. Wow. And so we basically doubled the size of our program and we think we're going to do that again this fall. So our total student body for uh, translation and localization management should be about 120
0: students, which is a big chunk of that overall student body. That's very very cool. So where are these students from?
1: They're from all over. I think by far the largest population is is uh, folks from China. Mhm. The Chinese localization industry isn't as sophisticated as what we have in North America. And so we find that the schools are not inclined to offer as much localization training as we have here in North America. So a lot of uh, Chinese nationals are coming over here to Monterey to study localization. And then from there, we have eight language pairs that we offer. So most of the people have this language as their second language. So French, German, Spanish, Brazilian Portuguese, Korean, Russian, Japanese, and Chinese. And I hope I didn't miss a language in that list. But I guess primarily, so China, people from the US, and then foreign nationals who come to Monterey as well, just to primarily work on their their English
0: at that point. Really interesting. Yeah, I managed a couple translation operations across Asia and spent a lot of time in China. And you're correct that the industry hasn't evolved as far as it has in the US or in Europe. And a lot of times it's not really looked at Traditionally it wasn't looked at as a real profession. So universities mm-hmm. didn't really provide programs, but you have some amazingly talented interpreters and translators there. And you know, you have, you know, schools like the Beijing University of Foreign Studies and other sure. schools that have, um, have these people are super, super great linguists but they don't have, you know, the access to the other kind of programs, you know, for example, project management or engineering related to localization, et cetera. So that's, that's great that, that you know, you can draw from those kind of people. Do you have, is it all ages or are these people typically just out of university or what's your kind of demographic look like? There's
1: a mix. I would say that most of our why can't even talk about most. It seems to be a pretty average split between those who are coming directly from undergrad and those who have been in, in uh, the corporate environment for a couple years. So generally skews to the younger ages, but we do have students of all ages. We have an advanced entry program that is available for students who have been in the industry for two to three years. And then maybe they're finding that they're not advancing as far as they want to advance. And so they can do our advanced entry program uh, that takes it's an accelerated program over one year basically it's our second year of study and with that program we find those graduates can kind of leapfrog into a better career for themselves okay so that's generally our two ages the out of undergrad and then with some experience as okay well.
0: so if i'm just a freshly graduated from undergrad and i'm coming to the program then it's a two-year program it's a two-year program and yeah. what am i going to learn what kind of classes am i going to take
1: Yeah, well, we have three primary categories of classes. Obviously, the language side of things. So that would be either translation courses for those who have uh, near native in their second language. We have also specialization called the localization specialization and a management specialization, which allows students to come in with just conversational second language. So they would be spending time uh, beefing up their second language but we're not expecting them to become translators and that's actually a a change that we made in direct conversations with the industry who said you know we don't necessarily need our our project managers to be translators in some cases we want really good project managers who have that skill set but we're fine if they just have you know conversational spanish or whatever so and that actually is how our program has
0: grown so quickly was by opening up these new specializations so okay, sounds yeah. good. How about employment opportunities? Do you track like placements and things like that, or do you just have a kind of a general feel for the industry, or what? What, what can you share with us?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, between the first and second year, we expect that uh, students will do some kind of summer internship in the industry, and we track who finds an internship. And for the first time ever, we had 100% of our students last summer in some kind of localization related internship. We have a number of partnerships with several companies up in the Bay Area. Salesforce is a a long standing relationship with interns, almost a formal internship program. And we we have interns at a lot of LSPs as well. Right here in Monterey, we have uh, Media Locate and Moravia are the two primary agencies that we have here. And so a lot of our students work at at these agencies for their internships. Now, upon graduation, I think one of the big draws of Monterey in the first place is our proximity to the Bay Area. And when our students graduate, they tend to either go towards the LSP side, the seller side, or to the buyer side, the client side. And it's it's about 80-20, I think. So about 80% of our graduates go work at an LSP and 20% tend to go straight to the buyer side. And if we look at who is going where, generally the students who come in with some experience are the ones who are more qualified for those
0: buyer side or client side career positions. The International Bus Podcast is brought to you by Wordbee, makers of the Wordbee translator and WordBee Box. If you're looking for the industry's most comprehensive end-to-end translation management system, then definitely you want to check out WordBee Translator. It features everything, including client portal, custom and automated workflows, vendor management module, linguistic asset management module, so you can manage your TMs and your MT and your terminology, translation and review tool, the ability to provide quotes, communication tools between vendors customers and project managers incredible long list of reports and business analytics in more and more and all of these modules run a mile deep in terms of all the different features that are provided and they're all amazingly customizable about 95% of the things on the platform are customizable and to make it even more incredible the WordVe Translator fully integrates with a variety, a large number of content management systems, document management systems, etc. So if you'd like to get more information about Wordby Translator, please visit our website and sign up for a free trial. Now we're going to go back to the International Buzz Podcast, thank you. Do you have any projections in terms of future employment opportunities in the industry overall? And I ask that because there is some concern in the industry that, you know, AI and machine translation and big data is all going to somehow conspire and put all the translators out of work, which I don't agree with. I think it's going to change the nature of how some translators work. But um, what projections can you share with us in terms of growth of the industry and and employment opportunities?
1: Well... I think first I should talk about the second category of courses we have. I talked about language, which we get into translation courses and beefing up the second language for students. Now, we have a whole category of classes in what we call the localization or technology category. And uh, those are the courses that I teach, incidentally. So uh, things like website localization, software and games localization, multilingual desktop publishing, and and audiovisual localization. And in these courses, what I'm trying to do now is think in every topic that I teach basically, can we automate it? Mm -hmm. And if we can automate it, we're going to be free as project managers to not get into the kind of the nitty gritty of, of pushing around files, we can now really look at the language and work with our clients on terminology, for example, and really work on the client relationship or working on that the talent relationship where we can talk to translators and kind of keep morale up especially in this age of automation and, and artificial intelligence. I think keeping the humans happy is going to be a big part of what project managers do. So we're definitely not looking to the past of, of what translation project managers have done in the past. We're looking to the future of what they're going to be doing in the future, like configuring connectors between cat tools and content platforms. And you're not going to be actually sending anything to translators, but rather building up a team of translators who are already assigned in your CAT tool, for example. So in my courses, we're definitely looking at uh, retooling our graduates so that instead of being traditional translation project managers, they configure these types of systems and work with these types of systems. You know, is that something that a localization engineer needs to do? Or can translation project managers do that? We believe that you know, this is something that if you're a
0: translation and localization project manager, this is something, this is a skill set that you need. That makes total sense. And I mean, if you think about the projections, just in terms of the amount of content that needs to be, or will be translated, is growing exponentially and is expected to continue that growth rate in the, in the years to come. And part of that is just because of the explosion of content, part of it is the explosion in global trade. And then if you look at it, well, maybe traditional methods can't be used, can't keep up with that explosion in demand, right? And, you know, WordBee, we're a huge believer in automation. I mean, I, I'm not going to pitch our product here, but RTMS is all about automation. We have clients that automate every step of the workflow. And then if you want to talk about keeping people happy, if the more you can automate the workflows, those many of those little tasks, so the granular tasks, um, the easier and a smoother a project manager's jobs becomes. And I've worked in the industry for quite a few years myself. And I would say definitely the toughest job in the industry is a project manager. The project manager, you're sitting between the client, between your biz dev guy, between the translators, the vendors, uh, multiple people. You're trying to coordinate everybody and you're trying to, you know, make everybody happy. And you're in the middle there. And it's always, you know, not enough time and not enough money. And all of that comes down to the PM role. And so if you can take away a big chunk of their, you know, just these menial, somewhat menial tasks. I don't mean to say that the jobs aren't important, but there are a lot of granular tasks that if you can automate them, it just, wow, it makes the job so much more easy and um, it makes the output a lot more consistent and you can handle larger volumes of work. So I totally agree with what you're saying. And it sounds like um, people who are taking your classes are getting a really good kind of snapshot or exposure to that.
1: Well, as an academic, it's taking me a lot of work to think about, you know, can this be automated? Uh, and in some cases, we can't automate everything exactly. But yeah, you bring up some really good points. And traditionally, we see our graduates who go to the LSP side that they they burn out. They burn out after three to five years as a project manager. And so I used to be upfront. I don't teach our translation. I don't teach our project management courses anymore. Uh, but when I did, I was very upfront with students and telling them, you know. If you go into translation project management, it's really stressful. You're probably not going to want to do it forever. Eventually, what you're going to want to do is probably get over there on the on the buyer side, and move over to the client side, where you can you know make those spending decisions and just be in a, in a different place. Not that the grass is always greener, but the perception is that you know you can't do project management forever. But maybe maybe with automation, things will start to change and people will stay in project management roles longer. I don't know. Time will tell, I guess, on that. Yeah, it'll be
0: interesting to see how that plays out. Definitely. Okay, so what are some of the other draws for students to come into the Monterey area? I mean, you've talked about the great programs that you run. It sounds like an amazingly multicultural, multinational, multilinguistic environment, and not just inside your school, but, or in your organization, but also just in the community as a whole. But what are some of the other draws or things that you really like about Monterey? Oh gosh,
1: well, I live in Chicago, After graduation from undergrad, and I thought I really liked the big city, but after living here in Monterey for um, over ten years, I can say that I've I've adjusted to life in a smaller town. And um, you, since we're kind of a tourist town, the number of nice restaurants is really high for such a small town. So. If you if you are into fine dining, there are quite a few places in this little teeny tiny sleepy tourist town. But in addition, we have uh, proximity to nature. You know, we, we're right on the coast. There's a recreation trail that goes all along the coast from, I think probably to the to Salinas, which is like five or ten miles away, all the way to Pebble Beach. Essentially, there's great opportunities for for getting out to nature. So I think just. The small town is great to foster a steady environment. It's not too tempting. I don't even think we have a nightclub anymore. So if you want to go out to the big city, you have to go up to San Francisco or or San Jose. But, you know, again, those are only an hour and a half and and two hours away, respectively. So uh,
0: we're, we're pretty close to big city if that's what people need. Sounds ideal. Is there a place, though, that students kind of congregate off campus or, you know, a particular restaurant or pub that people like to kind of hang out at? Yeah, well, when I was a student,
1: we definitely had a couple bars that we gravitated towards. And now that I'm faculty, I steer clear of those establishments just so that I I don't run into students in in a social setting. I'll, I'll let the students have their space. But, yeah, there are a number of local pubs. Ironically, all the pubs in Monterey are British. There are like eight British pubs
0: and not a single Irish pub. It's the weirdest thing do some kind of deep dive case study on that and understand the the historical ramifications or causes of the <laughs> the uh, lopsided British to Irish pub thing there. But, <laughs> it would be a
1: good study. It would be a good research yeah, I, I would
0: volunteer my research uh, capabilities and come down to Monterey and spend a, as long as I could going to all the pubs and checking that out. That'd be awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I, you know, we're coming up on our, our time here do you have any funny translation stories? Cause you, um, you know, you studied French and you used French, you worked as a French translator for a while, right? Did I catch that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, no, I actually never, I went right into project oh, management. You did. I've never
0: been. Well, that aside, do you have any funny translation stories? Any lost in translation oh, stories?
1: I have better project management stories. Can I share my favorite project management stories? Okay. Well, I think, What comes to mind if I'm thinking about like my worst project management experience ever was I was working at an agency and I was sending out this project for translation. And I sent out, it was a game translation. I don't want to say what game it was, but it was a casual game. I sent it out for translation. It was worth about $30,000. And I got the translation back and I sent it to the client. And I was on time. I was super happy. And they said, why did you send the translation for the previous version of this game? We've already launched that game. And just panic. you know, weeks had gone by. We'd spent all this money and all this time translating this this game. I'm, and I had I'm panicking right now. One. I'm
0: panicking right now. Here, listening to that. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> 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 so, okay, so what happened? <laughs> so I had to go into the
1: file system and see what on earth I had done. And I retracing all the steps with engineering and sales, it came out that the client had sent the previous version of the game to say here's the previous version of the game this is what we're going to be translating again the new version is in development but you know for quoting purposes take a look at this one and i want to we just want to make sure you can do it and the answer was yes we can do it but we prepped it for a translation and sent it out ouch so it was a big uh, it was a big panic and then we rushed through the actual translation project i think we still delivered it high quality work and I think the client was mostly amused at, that that's what we had done. Obviously, we did not make any money on that project, yeah. but that was my horror story for project.
0: Management. Well, that kind of stuff happens to everybody. We're all humans, and that's why we want to automate, because... <laughs> <laughs> that's <they're> right. right. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's really funny. Hey, Max, I really appreciate you uh, you coming on the International Buzz podcast. Do you have any last comments or thoughts you'd like to share about the Lear Institute or just life in general, you know?
1: Yeah, I think this is my chance to just say, you know, if you're listening to the podcast... And you're in a hiring position, you know, keep in mind that we've got we're gonna have sixty students graduating this coming spring. And they're all gonna need jobs. And I think that you're right that that the industry is growing as clients go global, they're gonna need, you know, WordBee and WordBee's automation. They're gonna need our the TLM graduates to configure WordBee and get all this automation working. So I think that if anyone is listening, I would just say you remember the Middlebury Institute translation and localization management students if you need to build up a team of
0: localizers that's some great advice or recommendations like i said i really appreciate you taking time to join our podcast you've got me excited to visit monterey again i've been there several times in fact i was there last summer took my family down they did some whale watching while i hung i, oh, while I hung out at one of the pubs <laughs> nice. and uh it's a beautiful town in fact we stayed just north at an airbnb up by where fort bragg used to be up there
1: uh, fort fort, Ord. fort, Ord. fort, fort Ord. Ord,
0: excuse me, Fort Ord, right? They shut that all down now, right?
1: It's true, yeah. And just the other day in the news, they finally uh, have some money to knock down all the old buildings and do something magical with that
0: uh, former fort. That was really amazing because my brother was in the Army Reserves and I visited him when he was there for like a two week deployment. And uh, that was like you know they had the gate and you had to go through and you know everything and and uh, we were down there last summer. They had all these empty buildings and, and some of the places in the base you can actually drive on and and uh, you know we drove in and got out and looked through some of these old buildings and it was kind of yeah. it's like an old ghost town or something. You know it's uh, it's That's bizarre. It's a huge base, right? So. Uh, Really uh, is, but if yeah. anybody's listening and they want to visit Monterey, I mean, Max, I'm sure you've got some advice, but we did an Airbnb up just north of Monterey and the, the okay. rates were incredibly low. I mean, I thought for, you know, I, I had three kids with me and my wife and, uh, you know, okay. we were spending, I think it was like a hundred bucks a night for a full house. So um, it was um it's pretty, pretty nice. That doesn't sound... Yeah, the
1: hotels are quite pricey. Airbnb has come in like a wrecking ball, and and uh, as long as Airbnb remains legal in in these small towns, I think that's the best way to go. But yeah, Monterey is definitely a great place. We've got the Monterey Bay Aquarium, more renowned uh, aquarium, and uh, golfing, mountain biking. Fort Ord has a bunch of trails, mm-hmm. uh, and is one of the premier uh, mountain biking places in the area. Diving, if you're into diving, right off the The beach in downtown Monterey is some of the best uh, diving in the world with the kelp forests and all the little critters that uh, scramble in amongst the kelp. So
0: there's a lot to do. Max, I think that if you um, ever want to moonlight or you're looking for a second job, you can go work for the Monterey Area Tourism Board. (laughs) Because <laughs> you've got me, like I said, you've got me pretty excited to, to revisit Monterey. Anyway, hey, Max, I really appreciate you uh, joining the show, and uh, hopefully we can meet in person someday. And for anybody who's listening, I highly, strongly encourage you to check out the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care, Matt. Thank you, Mark.